This is the Horse Radio Network. I'm Kayla Benny from much colder Chestertown, Maryland. And I'm Charlie Brister from the sunny land down under. And you're listening to the monthly breeding and horse sales episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April the 23rd. This episode is brought to you by Supreme Top Form. Good morning, horse world. On our third show, we're going to explore buying and selling horses with Emil Spadone, owner of Redfield Farms and partner in Horse Flight, which is an international horse and import and export business, and learn what Im- the importing process is like for buying horses from overseas. The creator of our title sponsor, Supreme Top Form, Carol Gillis, comes on to explain the science and logic behind the joint supplement. And High Point Hanoverians is our guest breeder for this episode. You remember that viral video that's still going around? You know, the one of the foal jumping the hedges? Yeah, she was one of theirs. And we're going to close out the show again with Mark Donaldson, partner of Unionville Equine Associates, diving into the pre-purchase exam, focusing on x-rays and what they mean. So, Charlie, how's the land down under doing during this <coughs> pandemic? <laughs> oh, just a just a little mild cough there. Nothing to worry about. It's all safe. Uh, it's been excellent. I've been really, really busy been starting a bunch of young horses off while there's no competitions on and i've had a lot of people and uh, not surprisingly wanting me to sell their horses it's certainly mm, a bit of a tough market i'm hoping i might be able to sell one this week how's everything going with your training and sales business well we um we packed up early from florida and hustled our bums right back up to maryland uh where we went from 90 degrees in florida to 40 degrees in maryland all in one day it was horrible and quite a shock but we're here we're surviving and um i mean our the eastern shore's the best place to quarantine i mean social distancing is a real thing because we're out in the middle of nowhere so we we're doing good and uh i'm not selling a lot of horses right now because i mean how do you social distance and have people come in and touch all your your stuff i don't know yeah it's it's certainly not ideal i think um how dare that government uh (laughs) make things in difficult to buy horses you know as we speak about uh, you know, it, buying horses impo- is important for someone's mental health, and we should not be denied this right. <laughs> it is essential. Um, no, I'm actually quite happy with, you know, having a little bit of a quiet time, putting in the time, training the horses a bit more, um, taking the stress off of others. You know, I've got a bunch of young horses that needed a time off after Florida, and this this is perfect. But I am about ready to crack back on so if this virus could scram that'd be great i think the worst part of this uh, shutdown we're having at the moment is that my birthday is at the end of the month and oh. i'm not allowed to invite oh. everyone over for a party so to kayla and all our listeners out there 29th of april i think we're going to do a big zoom party fantastic so you don't and have to also drink along. maybe while with the parties on i can auction the horses that i have left <laughs> perfect double whammy well i'm excited for the show today i think we have a really good lineup on yeah absolutely like uh high point hanoverians i've been out there myself when i was visiting the eastern shore it's a lovely facility and i'm sure anyone that hasn't already seen that video of your filly is going to be uh, laughing their head off when when we share that on our page yeah they um they're actually 10 minutes down the road from me um and they just have a beautiful young stock of horses so it's it's like going over into a candy shop and i'm like i want that one and that one and that one <laughs> yeah yeah i wish and uh amel Spadone, he's a huge player in the hunter jumper world he's been around for quite a few years and manages a really big operation and also several different companies. So that's going to be interesting to hear his take on everything. Yep. And Mark's always fantastic to talk about or talk about, talk with. Um, and uh, Carol Gillis is just 
an amazing vet and to hear her insight um, and logic behind why she started a joint supplement is is going to be really interesting, I think. Well, awesome. Let's get stuck into it. Okay. So our first guest today is going to be Emil Spadone, owner of Redfield Farms and partner in Horse Flight, which is an international horse import and export business. And we're going to learn about what the importing process is like for buying a horse from overseas. Um, welcome to the show, Emil. Thank you for having me, Kayla. Did you get into buying and selling horses? I got into that through the normal process of being in the horse world. You know, I started uh, uh, just like everybody else, riding and and selling and just having a love of the sport. And then slowly I decided I wanted to make my career of horses. So I was a, a rider and a trainer and, you know, did some sales. And then I just decided to concentrate as the years went on more and more on sales because I found that to be you know, a niche for me. I, I felt like I was good at it and I felt like it was profitable and it was, you know, something that, that I really enjoyed doing. I, I really, to this day, I still love buying horses. I always joke and say that I only sell horses so that I could buy more, but yes, that's, that's how I got into it from, from the start. So roughly how many horses have you got under your care? At the moment, between your various farms, do, do you do you know? Dare we ask? Uh, yeah, it's a number we try to avoid talking about, just because uh, <laughs> it gives us it keeps us up at night. But you know, we have upwards of around two hundred horses right now. Wow. Um, Fantastic! And yeah, well, we've gotten into breeding as well. You know, we we the addiction just sort of caught us in every direction. You know, like we. We just love it. So we started breeding. So I have a breeding operation here in Ocala and we have our training and show and sale horses. And then we have another business in New Jersey we call Redfield Training. I have two very good young trainers there. Um, we felt New Jersey was in need of, of a business that was staying a little bit more local. We always, growing up, we always had a lot of of uh good family oriented horse farms you know local shows local trainers and just through the years you know they've sort of you know fell away um you know snowbird for example was a big lesson barn they went out of business uh robert beck is a big local trainer and he he's still there he's still going but he's you know i don't want to say semi-retired but he's really slowing down and he just has a handful of clients now jack benson unfortunately passed away he was a you know one of our big area uh professionals there were just a lot of barns and students and now i felt like there was a need for that so we opened redfield training and uh two good girls and they do a great job and they go to all the local shows and they're full with a waiting list and and uh, I think it was a good move. Does Redfield Farm um, get used at all during the winter months or do most of your clients go south to Florida? Yeah, most of the people that are with me come south. So we don't have very much in New Jersey. Uh, at, we have two facilities. So uh, at the training facility is full, but then at my facility, is, there's just a few. Like we do layups there or if the horse is injured or you know, something like that. Somebody that doesn't end up getting to go to Florida. If I have staff there, so if there's a client that wants to stay home, um, they're always welcome to stay home. And, you know, Ashley would even come up and help them, give them lessons, whatever. So we try to accommodate anybody that would like to stay home. But I have to say most, most of my clients, they like to, you know, get out of the winter. So they come to Florida with us. Yeah, but I know that feeling. That's and when smart. you... <laughs> When you transitioned or just added the breeding program, you know, you experienced in the competition and sales world, did you, were there any people in particular that you uh, consulted and said, hey, what's your opinion on these bloodlines or which horse would you best suited when you first started that? Or just yeah, use your well, own judgment. I, I do a lot of business with Stahl Hendricks, uh, Paul and Emil Hendricks in Holland, and I've been doing business with them for like 25 years now. And uh, Paul is a big breeder in Holland. And, you know, I see him raise these wonderful 
Dutch warm bloods that, you know, uh, that they're, they're so hard to find. Um, and you know, when they get to be the age of six, they're nearly impossible for the average person to afford. Um, so, and, and I have to say, even with our sales, we, you know, we try to find a horse for everyone, you know, like, of course, we always dream of selling that very, very expensive horse, but we, uh, I would say the majority of our market is, you know, sort of middle range, nice, solid horses. And, you know, when you do try to find that special horse, even when you're shopping in Europe, you find a special four-year-old, it, they're very expensive now. Um, so his idea was to, you know, supply him his, he still obviously buys and deals, but he supplies himself with horses from his own breeding program. So I modeled my breeding operation after his, and he guided me with stallions and bloodlines and, and mares. That's one comment that many breeders believe. Uh, and I also believe is that the mayor has probably 60% uh, to do with it. You know, it's not uh, the, the old days in, in America, a lot of people would, you know, take a nice stallion and just breed it to any mayor thoroughbred off the racetrack or, or a mayor wasn't working out. You know, if you think about that, that's the, that's the worst thing to do. If you have a, a mayor that's, not working out and either difficult in some way or not talented in some way or for whatever reason, not working out. Why do you want to reproduce that? So, right. Why would you um, want to reproduce if, think, if it's like confirmation faults or anything like that? Yeah. And, and in the old days, a lot of people would just say, Oh, she's way too difficult. Just breed her. You know, <laughs> it doesn't really, if you think about that, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. We try to breed, you know, obviously you, you aim for the middle, you know, you look at the strengths of the stallion and the strengths of the mare, and you, you know, you look a little bit at, try not to have too many weaknesses, but if you, you maybe look at their shortcomings a little bit and try to complement that. And I feel like you don't ever really get the middle. That's what you, even though you're, you're breeding, aiming for that, you get a little bit one towards one or the other. That's why I think it's important to have a nice stallion and a nice pair. So you'd be happy with traits from either one, more or less, you know. So, um, so, so that's the way that's the way we do it. And so far, it's been been successful. Fantastic. So, are you breeding more for your sale horses, or are you importing or consignment? Like, what's your model for the for your sales, or is it well, a little we, everything? It's it's a little of everything. We we predominantly import. Um, we, you know, we buy horses in Europe. I buy them with partners or buy them on my own and we bring them over and we produce them and we sell them. Um, that's, that would be our main number one, uh, sales part. But then we also have more and more client horses, um, as we've gotten a good reputation for selling and for, you know, honest dealing, people will send us horses to sell and we, have them in our program and we train them and we show them and we offer them, present them for sale and we sell consignment horses as well. Uh, and then breeding is, it's coming up to, I would say third because, you know, we've been doing it about 10 years and I started off a little bit slow, um, you know, three or four horses a year. And now we're, you know, folding out about 20 babies every year. So um, our, our four-year-old crop, Right now we have uh, 15. So if you think about it, and I have to tell you, the one, the one glitch from thoroughbred industry to warm blood industry, show horse industry, you know, the thoroughbred people, they breed and they sell them as weanlings and yearlings and two-year-olds, and they are eligible for the Kentucky Derby as a three-year-old. With us, honestly, most people don't really want them until they're five. Um, it's even a little bit rare for us to sell four-year-olds um, and the people that will look for four-year-olds, they, they feel like they're going to look for four-year-olds because they might get a very good price on it because they're going to go that young. Right. So, you know, we, we have to invest years in these horses. Um, so we try to evaluate them constantly and there are sometimes we keep them too long and there are sometimes we cut one loose a little too soon. You know, you see him later on, you know, maybe he was better than you thought, but yeah, you're like, we, Darn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we, you know, we try to make those decisions. Uh, and you know, if, if 
we feel like one is not going to make the certain a circuit or whatever we, we we try to think about his his price value then you know we'll sell him reasonable a little bit younger we try to put him into a you know, a place where he'll thrive, you know, whether it's a B show or a C show or whether it's yeah. eventing or um, pony club, doesn't really matter. You know, we would just like the end game for that to be a successful match wherever we happen to put it. Absolutely. I think you've got a pretty successful one game uh, that's going around with Doug Payne now. That was a, a star witness, was it? That was going to be a hunter yeah. with you. And then, and that's going exactly. really, really well. So there's, I guess, a lot of, avenues for eventing people as well for looking at horses that of yours that wouldn't quite suit the top grade show jumping yeah absolutely we um you know that's that's actually i'm bigger and bigger into eventing I and mean, doug's been a good friend of mine you know we kind of grew up he's a little younger than me but we grew up in new jersey and he's a good friend of mine and i look to him a lot of times like as i get you know as I get more knowledge in the eventing, uh, I still always lean towards him. And I have another very young girl, Caroline Martin, who rides a lot of horses for me. So, you know, now I'm even sometimes looking for event horses. You know, it started out where as I had horses, either ones that I bred or a horse that I, I bought that mare, um, so I witnessed a bought her in Holland. And when I tried her, I tried her to show, I thought, I love her. She's got great quality, but I'm worried that she's just going to be not the mindset for a hunter. So we got her home and we worked with her for a couple months and, and sure enough, I mean, she just, there was no, no shot of her wanting to, to be that hunter. So I said to Doug, got this mare, take her, train her a little bit, tell me what you think and let me know. And he immediately fell in love. So I kept uh, myself and Paul Hendricks, we were partners on that mare. We kept uh, a small percentage of her because, you know, it, A, it made it a little bit more affordable for Doug's people to buy her. And B, we want to stay in. If, if we never see a penny out of her again, we just love being a part of her career. Um, yeah, so, she's yeah, a nice we're big fans of Star. We're big fans of Star Witness. And now with this coronavirus, you know, she was too young to go to the Olympics, although she went to the Pan Ams. So, We'll see. Now she has a shot. She's going to be old enough. We'll see what happens. Fingers crossed for you. Yes, thanks. So you're also a partner in Horse Flight, which imports and exports horses. Um, did that start because you bring so many horses over? Or how that's, did that kind of come about? That's exactly how it started. <laughs> I, I uh, you know, import so many horses. And it, it's, you know, when you're when you're bringing horses over and you don't really have a, an understanding of how it all works, you know, I was a client, uh, bringing horses over and, you know, I would, I had my own frustrations here or there with, uh, different, different agents, uh, you know, whether either bumping me or postponing or, um, blood work issues, you know, whatever, not sticking to, uh, you know, a price that was quoted, you know, so there's a lot of yeah. things that, that went up and down and I got a little, I decided, you know what, I'm doing enough of this myself. We should, we should import. And my partner, Seth, uh, his brother just came out of the air force and he was looking for something to do and he wanted it to be with, with, you know, a flight situation. So we were like, Oh, this is a perfect idea. So we started with a guy as well was a partner. He, he didn't stay long because it wasn't really for him. So I bought him out and then he, and he's flying planes right now, which is what he wanted to, to do. But anyway, Seth and I, we have horse flight together. We have two amazing, amazing employees that really, we, we, our business, how do I say it in a, in a nice way? Our business went through some management changing and we're under new management with me. I was always in the, back of it and Seth was in the back of it and we had another, another partner that was running it and then that partner went on their own and now I was forced to step to the front so now I'm very very busy and involved uh, daily with the running of that business the two girls Nicole and Devin Nicole Judd and Devin Kaminsky they stayed they chose to stay with us um, 
and I'm grateful that they did because we, we need them and they do an amazing job. And now we've just hired a few other new people to come on because our business has grown, you know, quite a bit. Um, over the last couple of years, it's really picked up and I have to say, you know, all the things that as clients that uh, I didn't love, I try to really make sure that um, we take care of as, you know, as running the business. We really try to cater to the clients. Or we try to offer them great service. Of course, pricing uh, comes into play, but we're not trying to be the cheapest. We want to be the best. You know, we, we want to give them a good rate. Don't get me wrong, but we want to give them excellent service. We want them to sleep at night. We take pictures of their horses when they land. Well, I was going to say, door to door, we are there for them. Yeah. I was going to say, I've used you for three horses that we've imported over from the Czech and it's it's amazing because I have used other companies. Um, I usually just go with whoever I'm buying from. They kind of arrange it on their side and, and everything like that. But you guys, one, I get an update when right before they fly, I get a picture. I get a picture when they land. I get updates. Nicole texts me personally, tells me how they're doing, what temperature they're, they landed with. You know, it's just it makes everything really simple. So, well, I know yeah. from personal experience, you, you guys make the horse fight makes the experience really great. And I've used other companies and it, they do an okay job, but you know, you constantly are trying to touch base and you almost feel obnoxious and everything like that. So I have to commend you for that. And I hope that uh, if anybody has questions and they want to, you know, speak to us directly. They can always go on our website at uh, horseflight.com and look us up and contact us. Or Redfield Farms. What's the website there if they're interested in yep. Red, Red training Field sales? Farms.com. Perfect. Redfieldfarms.com. And- yep. So we have Dr. Carol Gillis on. Um, She is the owner and founder of Supreme Top Form, which is actually our sponsor for this episode. Um, Hi, Carol. Hi. So I thought I'd just ask when and why you pivoted and started developing Supreme Top Form. Uh, Well, we... We, by we, I mean two equine surgeons um, and sports medicine types, were um, happily doing surgery on horse joints and injecting horse joints and doing the things that surgeons do. Um, but in about 2000, we um, thought to ourselves, "Well, this is this is what we do, but it would be good if uh, we developed a product that our clients could use to help them." keep their horse's joints more healthy and in a more preventative way as well as a treatment kind of way that was effective, cost-effective, easy to give, palatable, and would um, keep horses from coming to see us a little bit less, ironically. (laughs) And so we started looking at ingredients and we settled on glucosamine. Um, There's a ton of research on glucosamine. Most of it shows efficacy. Um, some of it shows a lack of efficacy, but when you look at the studies that say glucosamine doesn't help joints, the, usually the study dose was pretty low. So we figured out that horses need 10,000 milligrams per thousand pound horse to have an effective dose. It's all about dose. Um, it's like taking a quarter of an aspirin won't do you much good, but <laughs> if you take a whole one, it, it might. So, um, we focused on that. We wanted the product to be pure and we wanted it to be a small uh, quantity because that makes it palatable. So we, we eliminated other, other um, substances from the product. We went about five or six years with glucosamine alone. Then we tried chondroitin, which is very commonly used in combination and joint supplements. And we tried it for about two years and we, uh, between our own animals, our technicians' animals, and a few selected clients, we 
looked at horses and dogs and didn't find that the chondroitin helped noticeably more in a clinical fashion. This was just a clinical observation. So we eliminated the chondroitin because it's expensive and we didn't feel it was adding to the glucosamine. And then a few years later in about 2010, we did add hyaluronic acid. Hyaluronic acid is a quick anti-inflammatory agent. A couple days, even 24 hours, you can see a decrease in inflammation in joints with hyaluronic acid. Over time, glucosamine encourages the joint to make its own hyaluronic acid. So glucosamine is the more slow-acting of the two products, but it has a has long-term cartilage-sparing effects. So the, we settled on two two substances only in our supplement, and we made sure uh, we do independent lab testing to make sure that what is in the tub is what is on the label. Um, and so there's no FDA regulation, so we self-regulate to make sure our product is we're giving that good dose. Well, and when uh, when a vet goes in and does like a say a joint injection, it's typically hyaluronic acid and you know some other steroids as well. So this is just a a, a less invasive way to get in and a little more bang for your buck, correct? Mm-hmm. With yes. with that. Yes. Yes, the hyaluronic acid when you inject in the joint has a pretty short um, effective lifetime in the joint, probably days. Um, so, But you do get that nice anti-inflammatory bump, and then the steroids kind of take over. But there is risk with injection. Um, steroids long-term are pretty controversial for joints. There's plenty of evidence showing they're not very good for the cartilage over time. Um, so, yes, we wanted something that would be uh, less invasive, that um, horse owners could do on their own and uh, less expensive. So um, those were our goals for the for our supplement. And I will say that our current 20 animals are all on it, ranging from a <laughs> tiny 126-gram but mighty conure to through cats, dogs, and horses. And um, they live on it from the time they appear in the household till they exit the household. <laughs> So, Tara, what was that first animal that you mentioned? A little conure. What's what's that? I don't bird. think we. we... <laughs> he's a he's a little brightly colored um, small citizen, small parrot family. Okay, bird. cool. Not doesn't we... sound um, deadly enough to live in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Or well, we we had a cockatoo or two, and they're just wonderful, wonderful birds. They're they, amazing. They are. So you, you live where all the cool birds live. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm very lucky down here. Are there any other uh, products or materials that you're sort of interested in that might help uh, joint health, but there's just not enough research out yet? Or is there anything you've considered but want to wait until you get more evidence? We're always looking around, but um, research is expensive. And so quite often a company or... Um, a research person at a university will do one small study on a substance. And if it looks promising, usually that substance goes to market without a lot of further testing. I think the reason glucosamine has been tested so much is because um, it's shown such good results and then other studies have shown not so much. And then it has taken time to sort out. It's all about dose and it's all about purity. So we are watching a few other products, but um, the evidence is pretty weak, and so we just haven't haven't uh, ventured into trying them. Plus, we get pretty good results with our very simple and pure product, and it's easy to test purity because it has only two ingredients. So we've kind of stuck with that for several years and had had very good results. Well, simplicity does work, and um, I've I've used the supplement myself. Um, Maybe personally, but I'm not going to condone humans taking it. But um, <laughs> it, it it is palatable if anybody's asking. Um, but I always try all my horses' stuff, so I'm just a weirdo like that. But where, like, so where can we find the supplement? Um, Online ordering is probably the most direct way. Um, there are a few distributors who carry the product, um, but 
the online has you know, become the wave of the future, especially yep. right now in our current environment. So um, ordering online through, uh, you can type in Supreme Top Form or <laughs> the much longer name Pan American Veterinary Corporation. Or and, it's um, the, website's Pan Am, the website's Pan Am Vet, Vet Corp. Corp. And thank you so much for coming on and telling us the science behind it. It's always so interesting to, to hear how these, how everything starts. Welcome, Larissa Barillon from High Point Hanoverians. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So, Larissa, High Point Hanoverians. It, so, do you breed Hanoverians, or what? What's your breeding operation like? Um, yes, we breed Hanoverians and Oldenburgs. More Oldenburgs lately, but we do do both. What's the reason for the shift to the Oldenburgs lately? Um, well, we had a stallion named Rosenthal that passed away a couple of years ago, um, and he was not approved Hanoverian. So we bred a lot to him in his final years. Um, so all of the foals we were pushing to get registered went Oldenburg and therefore our new mares that were in foal to him had to be presented Oldenburg. So all their dues are paid and, um, they're great people to deal with as well. So, um, typically how many foals do you guys have a year? Um, typically we have between 15 and 20. This and year we have a little less, um, we have 11 this year, but it's nice to kind of stagger, um, the amounts in case, you know, they don't all sell one year. You never know how the economy is or, if we're going to be in the middle of a pandemic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> can't always plan for that. Um, yep. So do you typically sell them as foals or how, do, how does yes. that work? Okay. So you um, sell typically, um, that's our goal. Um, last year, the farm sold all but one foal that was born here last year. So um, that's the best. I mean, that's a good crop for us. So. Um, but if not, um, we raise them and break them and, uh, and we'll show them as well. So, um, all parts are fun, but I mean, it's for us just to make room for more. It's best if they're sold (laughs) the first year. (laughs) You can't have too many. I guess you can't be selling all the foals each year because what will your head trainer Klaus have to ride? Well, (laughs) he, uh, he gets a lot of his own horses in training, luckily. So um, he's pretty busy with that. And uh, we're lucky that he will entertain us and ride some of ours <laughs> as well. <laughs> and Klaus, he's from Germany. So he, he has a bit of a connection with breeders and, and performance horse people back there. What's his involvement yes. been in your breeding operation? Um, he has a big involvement. Um, he... Um, and of course I grew up, you know, learning from my mom, um, but just kind of being thrown, my mom passed away when I was 18 and, um, you know, I was right out of school and really didn't have a clue. I mean, I had a little bit of a clue, but I had never really done it full time. So Klaus was a huge mentor, um, on teaching me how to do everything um, basically, um, which I, I'm really grateful for. And to this day, we still make most of the breeding decisions together. Um, it's nice to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. And yeah, definitely. So do you typically breed dressage horses? Like where, where's the trend going for you guys right now? Um, well, we have, I mean, we like to play a little bit around. Um, Rosenthal was producing a lot of super hunter babies. Um, so we've taken an interest in producing some of that. And our our youngest stallion that um, we're hoping to get approved this year is definitely a, a hunter mover um, and really has that type. So he'll be kind of more in that direction. Um, Sinatra and French Scout are more uh, dressage producers. 
and then Cota Moore um, is a jumper stallion, and he he does produce kind of probably three quarters jumpers and then some dressage horses as well because they're they're pretty good movers. So it's we try to do a little bit of everything, and just um, temperament is most important and rideability. So. Well, and I do, I have two Cordomores and I can say that they both can jump. One may be two years old, but she's that, uh, the viral video that goes around of the fall jumping the hedge. I mean, they like their jobs. So they do. Yep. And they're very, very friendly. Both of them. They have very similar personalities. They're very friendly, very bold, very outgoing, um, and, and a little opinionated and thinking that they're awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's so. right. We really we try to produce a amateur friendly horse that are athletic, but I mean temperament is number one in our breeding program. And Rosenthal won a couple awards through USEF, correct? Yes. Yep. He um, through his offspring was um, ranked number one hunter breeding stallion for a few years in a row, which we were really plus to have and actually after he died even he has won it the last couple of years so that was really cool it's pretty impressive yeah yeah do you use any uh, outside imported frozen semen or do you find you've got enough variation in the stallions that you have to just take on and use for the outside mares um for the most part i mean we use our own we figure you know if we don't breed to them then why should anybody else? <laughs> so <laughs> we're, yeah, we, we really like them though. Um, and uh, it's fun pairing them up with the right mare. Um, so we have one jumper mare by Heartbreaker that we're going to go outside with this year. But um, just because we want to get some different jumper blood in and we're hoping for, if it's a filly or a, a colt, we'll keep it in our program. The mares produced some really awesome offspring so far. Yeah, that's good. You've got enough quality to keep it uh, generally in-house. How far away, um, you know, people sent mares to you from? What's the furthest? Um, Well, we ship semen all over the country. Um, Typically, if you mean for us to breed or... Yeah, I guess it works both ways, either sending mares to you or you've sent semen yeah. uh, all over. Uh, it's more local if people are going to send us a mare to breed, or within Maryland and Virginia. Um, otherwise, there's some really good vets around the country that will just ship the semen directly to. Yeah. And where um, have you shipped the overseas or is it mostly just North America? Just North America. Still a pretty big market, at least. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It keeps us busy. (laughs) And do you get to, I see on Facebook, you do a lot of writing yourself. uh, And, you know, just as you know, it seems to be a pretty good representation of the horses and your brand. Uh, They're very versatile. They always look really uphill, forward, balanced. Um, are there many, uh, and they all, they, they, like you said, trainability and attitude is the number one part of your breeding program. Have there been any, you've gone far out. Where did this attitude come from? Um, it came from my mom, um, <laughs> really <laughs> got to give her the credit there. I mean, that was, she wanted to have the warm blood when it wasn't so popular in the States, um, just really accessible to anyone, you know, that wanted to enjoy a nice horse and have a good time with it. So um, just a nice quality horse that had a good temperament. And I mean, the majority of the American market is amateur. So, and then if they don't sell, you know, we, we, it's nice that we know they're easy to break and their siblings have been easy to break and it's, it's a good peace of mind. Yeah. And when you sell, when you're looking to sell, you know, your foals or your older horses, what's the best method? Is it all, do you find it mostly over Facebook and your website or is there anything else uh, or word of mouth? What's most effective for you? Um, Facebook has been great. I mean, I would say probably 
over 50% of our sales are through Facebook these days. It's really impressive. Our website, a lot, and then word of mouth, of course. Yeah, okay. So that's um, definitely Facebook is has been a blessing uh, for a lot of people the last few years. So thank yeah. you very much, Larissa, for coming on. It's been excellent talking to you. And if anyone wants to find either some quality semen or if they're closer to the eastern shore, you can go and look at some of their horses uh, and you can find that information at High Point Hanoverians. That's hphanoverians.com and they're also on Facebook. So get around that. Excellent horses. I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. Thanks again, Larissa. Thank you very much. Welcome, Mark Donaldson from Unionville Equine Associates. How's everything going during the time of corona? Oh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, we're, we're doing our best to stay safe and uh, doing our best to, to work in, a, in the safest environment we can to keep things, uh, keep things moving and horses being bought and sold and healthy. So it's still busy enough then for you? Yes, uh, I mean things have changed. With uh, horses not uh, competing, uh, I think it's difficult for a lot of trainers to have a, a, a goal in mind and to keep horses moving towards a goal when that goal keeps shifting as far as when they might be competing next and and uh, what that's going to look like. Uh, a lot of the trainers I've been working on are just keeping their horses fit and prepared so that when they have a, a clear goal to achieve, that they can. Uh, move forward and and uh, be ready to do that. So, are you doing? Are people buying horses? Are you doing a lot of pre-purchases? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's uh, it's hard, you know, because uh, as veterinarians, we're supposed to be doing a primarily essential, you know, essential work, and uh, people debate whether really the purchase of a horse is essential. And um, so, it's there are some mental health about whether. What's that? It's called mental health. <laughs> exactly. Right. And uh, so, uh, but it is a livelihood of a, of a lot of people. So it, it is uh, part of the necessary part of the, you know, economic structure of, of uh, the horse industry. And it's something, uh, having a purchase exam done is something that a lot of people uh, certainly rely upon in order to, to put food on the table and to, to make a living. Yep. So, have you done any pre-purchases lately, or is I, is it? I have been, to, I have to it, admit that I've done a, I've not not nearly as many. I have to say, okay. not nearly as many, because the ability for people to, um, you know, to be able to see a horse is, is limited in some situations when they're not permitted to travel to the state where the horse is, or even travel within the state that they're they're at, given the community and the regulations that exist. So that that certainly put a big damper on things, but there are some situations where, you know, it's still, it's still occurring. So people are out there doing it. Well, all right. Well, so we left off, um, getting ready to talk about x-rays. So typically what type of x-rays is general, what you would do? Um, what would we look for? Yeah. Well, I, I try to talk to the client and find out the, the buyer of the horse, what their, their goals are, um, uh, what their tolerance for risk is. Um, certainly their budget, you know, is a component of it because, you know, it's not inexpensive. And the more you take, the more the more it costs. Um, you know, with the resale is an issue, um, what their budget is, not just for the purchase exam, but who will be caring for the horse? Will they be paying a trainer? Will the horse be staying on their farm? That th those sorts of things come into it when you're making a decision about how much to invest in the purchase exam. You have a budget for the horse, but it's a budget for the purchase exam too. And I think that's, that's certainly relevant. Um, and the other thing that, to think about is the horse's previous medical history. You know, if there's something there that we're aware of, that's an issue that needs to be investigated that will, you know, change the, some of those decisions too. I usually have a talk with the fire, you know, well before the exam, um, say, Hey, well, you know, what, what are your desires? What's your budget? You know, and I'll, I'll give my two cents. Um, but then I frequently advise that 
after we do the physical exam, you know, going over the horse and the flexions and all the stuff we've already talked about, that we maybe have another brief discussion, you know, before the radiographs are taken to see if there's any changes in that plan. If um, we find that this one joint has swelling, uh, we should investigate that. If there's a little bit of a change on a flexion, maybe that joint gets evaluated. Uh, if there's some back pain uh, or uh, maybe a poor range of motion in the neck, maybe those areas get evaluated. So I think, you know, the physical exam, you know, during the during it will will also guide, in some cases, what's investigated. So I try not to take a uh, uh, cookie cutter approach that this is what I do in in every case. So it could be different. You might just want to investigate, let's say, one particular joint, uh, and you X-ray that, and there's a bit of a red flag there. You have another discussion with the client, and then you might not proceed further with the horse. Um, or would that that would be something that happens? Yeah, it does. But I have to say that, that what I've found, though, if I will, if it, if I'll stop, um, you know, if their tolerance for risk is low and and um, uh, and that abnormality is quite severe. But it's been interesting to me to find that, you know, what I initially look at as being really concerning sometimes um, in the big picture ends up not being as concerning as we initially thought. Either there's not a consensus on it, it takes some time to evaluate. And the other thing is having a clear picture of what else is going on. So even though you might find one abnormality in one joint, if there's a similar or more severe abnormality in another joint, well, that might really put the end of the deal. But if everything else is okay, and that one abnormality isn't as, is not a deal breaker, well, then sometimes it's warranted to keep going and figure and look at the big picture. Because um, I've had the unfortunate situation of looking at something and saying, well, that's not too good. Maybe we should stop. Only to have that radiograph reviewed by three or four of the vets who say, well, maybe it's not that bad as Dr. Donaldson thinks. You know, maybe this is worth looking into. And then you go back and finish the purchase exam on another day only to find either that there's another problem or, well, maybe on the good side, everything else is okay. And then we go forward. And But but then we're the situation where we have to make, you know, a, a whole nother, you know, another visit and another assessment of the horse and it, it delays the, you know, delays the sale. So and unless something is quite severe, I'd like to complete the exam. Yeah. Yeah, um, vet, uh, someone talked to me this the other day saying, oh, well, x-rays are very expensive. And I thought, well, do you actually know how much an x-ray machine costs? Because it's quite a, I know here, it's a, it's a fairly significant uh, outlay for a veterinarian or the practice. You're able to disclose just, you know, a rough ballpark figure or a range of what uh, digital x-ray machines uh, can cost. Oh yeah, you too. Well, we uh, <laughs> we take pride take pride in the ones that we use. I mean, I like to think that because I do a lot of them, I try to get the the best possible equipment I can because a lot of people are looking over my shoulder after I take these radiographs. Kayla's looking at them and sending them to you and to her friends and saying, "Wow, mm-hmm. this, you know, these radiographs that Mark took are they any good? You know, are they sharp? Are they clear? Is there anything in there?" So, but good quality equipment, uh, fifty thousand dollars. So it's not, you're right, it's not inexpensive to, to get started and, and it's time consuming to acquire them, to store them, to share them, to evaluate them, um, to, to archive them. So that's a good, it's fair. I mean, it, it looks sometimes quick and easy and it doesn't look like it, 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 there's a lot involved into it, but uh, you're absolutely right. It's, it's quite an endeavor. And what's the longer, another random question, what's the longest time you've had to spend vetting a horse? <laughs> well, I've had I've had a couple of situations where I've had to make multiple visits. You, you know, I'll uh, do the exam, take the radiographs the, the buyer wanted, and then there'll be something on them that's of question in the buyers in another state, and they show their vet, and and then they'll get a specialist involved, and they'll say, well, we want another view, and we've also decided we want to take radiographs of the of the neck and back, which we didn't do at first, and so I'll go back and do another one. So. Certainly, I've had some situations like that where I've had to make, you know, two or three visits as the as the interest in the, the horse evolves by the, the buyer. You know, they become more and more interested as as maybe time goes on. So I've had a couple that have taken, you know, a couple of weeks to to complete. Far out! You can get um, fairly fairly heavily invested in 
in what seems to be like a simple procedure at the outset when you um, have to start going and being that thorough. Yeah, it can be. I mean, I, I always I always enjoy it because it's a, a frequently a learning experience for me when you know there's other people involved and and they're other uh, veterinarians and trainers and and agents involved and have their own concerns, which is something I didn't mention at the onset. Is that you know a buyer's own experience with medical problems with their horses sometimes influences their decisions about what they want to do. That is a common thing that they will say, I had this problem and that problem, or I know these problems are common. And so therefore, you know, I want to, you know, I have this area of radiograft. So. Well, thanks very much, Mark, for coming on over the last few episodes. And, you know, if people want to listen back, they can get a very thorough breakdown of of the whole vetting procedure, pre-purchase exam. Uh, But if you want you know, if someone wants to go and buy a horse or if they just need general vet work, you know, feel free to contact Mark. Uh, we won't share his number to everyone. You know, we don't want him getting too many questions, but you it's, can go. Uh, it's 610. No, just kidding. I'm just <laughs> Go to ueavet.com. That's Unionville Equine Associates. And you can uh, procure his services. We can, we can, Kayla herself can attest that he's a top-notch vet. And you he's can been call him very at thorough. any hour. He doesn't care. He's so <laughs> lovely. Just kidding. <laughs> You're getting me in all kinds of trouble, Kayla. No. Those services are only for you, right? I know. <laughs> I'm just special. No, but thank you so much for coming on and, and giving us a, a general overview. And hopefully we'll have you on again to kind of go into more specifics about, you know, certain x-rays. And because um, that be that's, that's a very deep rabbit hole. So thank you. Awesome. You guys have a good day. Well, thank you for listening to the show. I'm Kayla Benny, and I can be found at Facebook on Kayla Benny or Selkuth Sport Horses. My website is selkuthsporthorses.com, and I'm also on Instagram, and I actually just started TikTok, but I'm a little old for it, so there's only one post, so don't follow me there. And I'm Charlie Brister. You can find me at my personal Facebook page or Brister Equestrian page, which is also on Instagram, bristerequestrian.com. Also, we accept smoke signals down in Australia. Take that. But you can find the link to today's guests and show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. And if you go to that Horses in the Morning homepage, you can click on our banner and you can go through all our old episodes if you want to listen to more awesomeness you can follow horses in the morning on facebook just search horses in the morning you can have all the horse radio network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iphone or android go to your app store and search horse radio network thank you to our sponsors supreme top form selku sport horses and brister equestrian Remember, riding, like life, doesn't need to be perfect to be wonderful. Give your horse a pat after every ride. And eat, ride, nap, repeat.